Welcome to the Adoptee Thoughts Podcast. I am your host, Melissa Guida Richards, an author, adoptee, and mom. Each week, we will delve into the nuances of adoption, as well as tips for how to bring up difficult discussions in your adoptive family. And most importantly, we will not shy away from tough topics. So thanks for joining me today, and let's jump into your weekly dose of Adoptee Thoughts. Can you please just introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Hi, my name is Shelley Rottenberg, and um, I'm a Chinese adoptee. I was adopted when I was eight months old from China, and now I currently live in Southern Ontario in Canada. Um, so I'm really excited to be featured on your podcast. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. I'm super excited to talk to you. Um, let's see. Do you remember when your parents told you your adoption story? Um, Well, it's just my mom because she adopted me on her own. She's a single parent. Okay. And she's um, like, I'm Chinese. She's Jewish. So (laughs) I think growing up, it was always like a story that I had known, you Mm -hmm. know, like it was told maybe very simply. And then I kind of got a little more sophisticated as I grew older. Um, I have a younger sister who's adopted from China as well, a different part. Um, And I actually went with my mom to adopt my sister to China. Um, oh, okay. so that was a cool experience. But yeah, so I think the earliest thing I remember is my mom just saying like, oh, you know, your birth mother, she like loved you, but she wasn't able to keep you. So she gave you away. Um, and she she's Christian and Jewish, but she would say things like, you know, you grew in my heart, <laughs> things like that. And so, yeah, I think I had a very uh, positive, I guess, outlook on it growing up, because that's how my mom always um, talked about it when she talked about it with me. How old were you when you went to China to with your mom to to get your sister? I was five years old, so I don't remember too much of it because, yeah, I was quite little. Um, I do just remember uh-huh. it being like a very long plane ride. I remember it being really busy in China. Um, I remember it was weird because, you know, people, like, they would see me, and so they would, like, come up and try to speak to me, I guess, in Mandarin, and I wouldn't know what they are saying, so I'd be, like, confused. Um, uh-huh. My mom asked me yeah. if I wanted a younger sister, and I was like, oh, someone who looks like me. So I was, like, really excited to have a younger sister. <laughs> um, so it was it was definitely, like, that was a positive experience, too, and it was cool um, to do that. And I haven't been back since. Uh, and since I don't remember much, I do definitely want to go back, and I specifically to the city that I'm from. Um, and I think it would be, like, probably a family trip, so it would be nice to uh-huh. go with my mom and my sister. I think my sister's just not, like, ready right now. Like, she doesn't really have a strong desire to go back. And also, obviously, because of, like, COVID and everything right now, that won't be happening anytime soon. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a wrench mm-hmm. in the plans. <laughs> Were you close with your uh, adopted mom growing up? Yeah, I was very close. And like, it's just, it's just the three of us. And so, you know, we're pretty tight knit because it's like a smaller family. Um, so mm-hmm. I did feel like uh, I yeah. could always go to her with anything. If I was having any problems or issues, like I felt like, you know, she was someone I could confide in. And um, she did, um, you know, give me yeah, a, got a great childhood. And we went on trips as a family and we did a lot of fun things together. And in terms of adoption, she, yeah, she was always pretty open if I had any questions. So, so that was nice. Cause I, I know some mm-hmm. other adoptees unfortunately haven't had the same experience where it wasn't, it was maybe like a taboo topic. Yeah. Um, but she did try to bring my sister and I to events. Um, there was FCC families with children adopted from China kind of in a major city, not too far away from where we are. So she would bring us to those events that they'd host. So if they had like um, an event for Chinese new year or something like that, then we'd go. So growing up, I did attend some events where I was around other Chinese adoptees. But I think when you're younger, you don't really like, know what that means necessarily so it was just to me like oh other people like to be friends with kind of thing but as I grew older 
I lost touch with um, a lot of those people because uh, I guess there wasn't like that much tying us together. Just the fact that our parents would bring us to these events. (laughs) (laughs) Did your mom try to incorporate Chinese culture in your house as well as going to events like these? Um, a little bit. She would, you know, sometimes like buy things that were, I guess, kind of Chinese to put in the house. And like, I don't know, my when I was a kid, I was like, oh, my favorite animal is a panda. So then she'd like, you know, buy me things like that. And she bought me, I'm not really sure that actually like what type I know. There's different types of Chinese traditional clothing. But if we went to like Chinatown or something, she would, you know, like there was mm-hmm. like, I had a couple dresses that were, you know, Chinese. Um, not that I really wore them too often. Uh, and she did try to put me, I think, in Mandarin classes, but mm-hmm. I wasn't too interested in learning. And I think, again, I was more going because it was like for the friendship, maybe like the social aspect. But I wasn't really like, oh, I really want to learn language. And I, so that's something, an opportunity that I had. But then because I didn't seem very interested, she she didn't like force me. So I, I did a bit of it. And then uh, then we stopped. <laughs> then we stopped that after a while. Yeah. Yeah. I I find as an adult learning Spanish to be so difficult and people just say like just just learn Spanish just watch telenovelas or watch things in Spanish and you'll pick it up no problem but I feel like as an adoptee especially a TRA there's like a block emotionally from connecting so when you said that you weren't super interested in it that's that's kind of how I feel <laughs> like now because in an ideal world it'd be great to know another language but just when it comes down to it I I don't I just don't feel ready, I think, to really dig into that, if that makes sense. I'm a little bit trying to learn it now with like Duolingo, but it's, I'm not, it's not like a, I think that I'll be able to learn it to speak it and like understand it. It's, I guess, more of like an interest, but I'm not trying that hard because I don't think I'll actually be able to ever be proficient in Mandarin because it's a very difficult language to learn. And then I don't really have anyone to practice it with. So like I have some friends that are Chinese and so they'll maybe like tell me how to say certain words um, or sentences. And one of my friends actually told me that my middle name, which was mm-hmm. the name that the orphanage gave me, so it's my Chinese name. Um, apparently, I was pronouncing that wrong. So, like within the last couple of years, I realized that my middle name is mm. pronounced like one yeah, way. When I was yeah, yeah. It was a different way. I, I can totally relate to some of those things. <laughs> I definitely had some Spanish words that I thought I knew, but then my my husband, he's actually half Colombian, and so he he would make fun of me and tease me. <laughs> and, yeah. So um, I don't, I feel like. Being a TRA is kind of complicated sometimes because trying to find what our identity is can can be difficult because for all of us, like we all have our different emotions and different opinions on everything, but then just having a unique experience of growing up with white adopted parents and and then just the, the world around us, and <laughs> yeah. it just can be difficult to kind of like define who we are. Do you still struggle with self uh, identity as an yeah, adult? Yeah, I think I definitely do. It started mostly when I went off to university because I grew up in a, a city that you know mostly there's white people <laughs> and there was a kind of a lack of you know racial and ethnic diversity. Um, so <laughs> at my high school, there wasn't like that many Asians, and I didn't really see myself as Asian growing up. Like, yes, I knew I was like Chinese, but I didn't really fully know what that meant and so I didn't like understand you know racism or like racial stereotypes Mm -hmm. or certain things and so then once I went to university and then I was like oh wow there's so many more Asians Um, but it was weird because yeah I didn't really like 
you know, have anything in common with some of them, um, if it was based, you know, like culturally speaking and like kind of their upbringing. Um, so there was like a lot of clubs yeah. and I wanted to get involved in stuff. Um, but, you know, the clubs that were maybe about like Asian culture or specifically Chinese or stuff like that, it, it felt like, oh, well, I don't belong. Because, um, you know, they were saying this is a club where we can connect based on those things, you know, based on the shared culture, this and that. And then the more that mm-hmm. I like listened to them giving their pitch, I was like, oh, wait, but I actually can't re- relate to you guys on that because that's something that I didn't really have growing up. Um, but I ended up joining a Jewish sorority instead. And so then I was in that for the duration of my undergrad experience. Um, but yeah, it was yeah. definitely like I, I did have a bit of an identity crisis where I was like, wait, I don't know who I am. Where do I belong? And I feel like at some points I would try to like fit in in one place or I try to fit in another. And then sometimes when I you know, didn't feel like there's something off, it's like all these people were relating and they had these like shared experiences and I couldn't fit in with that. Sometimes I'd feel like, oh, is there something wrong with me? Um, like, you know, I can't um, I can't relate in this way. I don't have this. So it's this weird, like, you know, in between feeling. Um, and I think that I've slowly, um, I'm becoming more secure, I guess, in my identity where it's not as much of a, like, there's anything wrong with me. It's just like how it is. That's life. And I think uh-huh. it's okay to fit in a bit here and a bit there. Um, but it's definitely something I'm still learning as I kind of grow up. Um, but I, I have gotten way more involved in the adoptee community. And that's really nice. Cause I'm like, oh, it is something where I can for sure say, like, you know, even though there's variation in adoptees experiences, obviously, um, it's, mm-hmm. it's way more like there's things that we connect on than what we don't, I feel like. Definitely. Finding the adoptee community, I think, really just changed, <laughs> changed my life in such a positive way. Because all I knew about adoption to in the beginning was just what I saw in the media. And it was just like, you know, that purely positive take on just like we were saved, we should be grateful. And it, it was like an internal war inside of me with I had all these conflicting feelings where I wasn't just feeling 100% positive about being adopted. And then with my parents saying that, like, oh, well, we saved you this and that. And um, but finding the adoptee community and seeing how different different adoptees talk and uh, their experiences, they range from super positive and super involved with adoptive parents to they don't even talk to their adoptive parents. And it's just, I don't know, I feel like it's refreshing to have a group of people who actually kind of get what it's like. What is the most valuable thing that you've found about the adoptive community? I think like you said, just it's very like eye-opening because like I said, I did have a mostly positive experience. Um, but then hearing other adoptees stories about, you know, not everyone had that same experience as me. Um, like you said, some people, you know, didn't have great adoptive families or maybe like luckily I didn't really experience racism or anything growing up. Um, and so hearing that some other adoptees have, that's like very unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially during like COVID-19, there's a lot of like anti-Asian hate crimes that's happening in the United States. And so a lot of the people in the adoptee communities I'm in, like a lot of them live there. Um, so that's stuff that like I've never had to think about really or experience because like I'm fortunate that like, you know, where mm-hmm. I am specifically in Canada, like I just haven't encountered that. Um, so I think just realizing that, yeah, it's way more um, complicated than I thought and that there's yeah. some people that have had different experiences. They have different feelings about being adopted or they have different feelings about um, whether it's their adoptive families or going back to their birth country or wanting to maybe connect or find birth family and like all these different topics that exist within adoption you know sometimes we might agree on one thing but then we might disagree on something else um, and just like though every like everyone's feelings is still valid um, so that's been 
interesting to just connect and learn from other adoptees when they are different, but also being able to have that sense of like, oh, we definitely, we, we are on the same wavelength. And it's really nice to meet people to know you're not like the only one who's thinking this way or experiencing this thing. Definitely, definitely. Have you thought about searching for your birth family? Yeah, I definitely have. I think because I, I know some people maybe through a time in their life, they may have resented birth family. But again, because I had a positive experience, I, I did view it as, oh, hopefully like my birth mother, you know, she didn't have a choice, but I still hope that I was wanted. And I just think maybe the circumstances, especially with the one child mm-hmm. policy in China, made it very, very difficult. And, you know, if you factor in like poverty and I don't know, maybe pressure from family or there's all these different reasons um, that I think that, that it was probably like a choice made of desperation, yeah. um, if anything. So I do think that it would be really cool to connect with birth family, but I have like no information because from what I know, like I know there is some like corruption and stuff with the orphanages in China. And there's possible that, you know, the information I know is maybe not even correct. But what I was Mm -hmm. told is that I was abandoned in front of like a market and that's where I was found and then brought to the orphanage. Um, So because of that, and I know some adoptees might have like notes that was left with them, but I didn't have anything as far as I know that was left with me. So the, the orphanage gave me a name, they kind of estimated my birthday. Um, and that's, that's all I have is like, I guess, whatever the orphanage, the information that they had um, kind of given me when my mom adopted me. So it seems very mm-hmm. difficult to try to find birth family. I know it's possible. And I know that other Chinese adoptees have, um, but sometimes it just seems very overwhelming because it's like, you don't know how to start the process. Um, I have done the 23andMe DNA testing kit, but just the um, DNA part, not like the health. And so my mom got that as a Christmas gift for both my sister and I. Mm -hmm. And so we did that together. And it was cool because we we are adopted from different like cities, different provinces in China. But we found out that we share 0.07% shared DNA. So we are technically like very, very distant cousins. That is super awesome. (laughs) I think because I initially did that to see if I could find hopefully like closer uh, relatives and then such like distant cousins I have um, most of them are distant I think like the closest is like a third to fourth cousin um, and I'm not sure if it's just because maybe people in China do not use 23andMe mm-hmm. um, so that's something I guess though my DNA like just sits in the the online or in their database so it is nice because there's kind of that hope that at any moment someone who kind of signs up they could be yeah. someone who I have like a closer DNA match with um, yeah. And then if I did go back, I think I would consider doing something like when I go back to China, if yeah. I go back to my city, uh, I've heard of like adoptees doing search, like making a poster, like searching for birth parents. And they put maybe a picture of when they were a baby and then kind of like growing up, like when they're a kid and then a picture now um, and mm-hmm. they get it like translated so that it can be distributed there. So that's something I've thought about. Um, I know that like also some people have hired maybe investigators and stuff, but that sounds like it might be expensive. So there's so many like ways about you know, going and doing that, but I haven't explored like all of the options, but I've definitely thought about it. And I think it'd be cool. It just seems like there's so many hurdles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, in Colombia, there was some corruption. Luckily with my adoption, uh, everything seemed on the up and up as much as adoption can be. And um, I actually took 23andMe a few years ago. I like it was like three, four years ago. And at first, like I had the same kind of experience. I saw like very distant cousins, nothing super important. But last year I actually was able to connect to two half siblings that were That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. It was it was pretty awesome. It was a roller coaster. And they were actually adopted into the same family and in the United States as well. 
So, like, there is hope that one day, like, you might find close relations. So, I just wanted to share that with you. And, like, for oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and for me, like, finding birth family, uh, ever since, like, I found out I was adopted, I just felt like there was something missing and that I needed more information just to kind of mm-hmm. figure out who I was as a person. And uh, what do you think was at the root? of your interest in taking a 23andMe test and thinking about searching for birth family? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I decided to do research um, for my undergraduate thesis on Chinese adoptees in Canada. And because it was only an undergrad thesis, it was a pretty small sample size, but I was able to do in-depth interviews with nine other adoptees. Most of them were people that I had like knew when I was a kid and I kind of reached out to them being like, we haven't talked in a long time, but would you be interested in being interviewed? Um, so I found most of them that way. And hearing their experiences and like listening to their stories is what made me realize, oh, wow, like, you know, I relate to this stuff. These are things I've experienced, but I've never even thought that it was, you know, related to adoption or, you know, I didn't have anything to like label it or attach it to. Um, and, and the decision to do that was kind of my mom's idea because I was trying to think of, okay, what's something I wanted to research? What's something that I can see myself spending a year um, kind of working on this project for school? And so it was kind of her idea where she was like, oh, well, you know, make it something personal too. So it's more meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, what about like adoption? Um, so that's when I kind of first became interested in it when I did like research on it myself. And then, but definitely during quarantine, I think I've really like just jumped in into it um, because I've had a lot of time and I graduated for my master's and now I'm looking for a job. So I'm unemployed right now. Um, but I've had all this time. And so I found a lot of like the Facebook groups. I've, I've been a part of them for a while, but I wasn't necessarily super active in them. Um, but I've definitely been kind of engaging more. There's like been Zoom calls and some of the posts or I've, I've posted yeah. things myself and kind of there's been a lot of like resources that have been shared that I've like learning way more about both adoption within the Asian community, um, also other different types of you know races, ethnicities. Um, so that's been really interesting. So I think it's, yeah, it's happened slowly over a period of time, but it started like with university and me just kind of, I think that's a time when everyone's just trying to figure out who they are. So that was kind of the time where I'm trying to figure out who I am kind of have my voice and it's just only like grown and it's kind of intensified over the past several months have you talked about searching with your your adoptive mother yeah and she's very supportive and she's even on her own done some research and stuff and I think she's in a couple Facebook groups that are meant for that Um, and sometimes if she comes across anything she'll like send me a link and um we both kind of, you know, sometimes get like this energy where we're like, oh, yeah, like, let's look into this more. And we'll start like Googling things and kind of seeing what's out there in terms of resources to help uh, with searching. And, and then sometimes, you know, you search and then you realize, you know, it's kind of like a, a rabbit hole. And then, and then you kind of, you know, lose steam a bit. And then you're like, OK, well, like, we'll do this later kind of thing. So she's but she's definitely supportive and she would be really happy if I were if we were to be able to find my birth family. And I think for my sister as well, even though, like I said, she's not too interested right now. Um, so yeah, so it's something that we definitely talked about and, and being a part mm-hmm. of the adoptive community, it like brings up more conversations like with me and my mom and even my sister, um, because I'll see someone else post about, you know, either it's like something that's happening in the world, like some sort of event or news piece, or like a resource that they shared or just a post being like, have you ever thought of this or, and so things that I see in this group, sometimes I'll mm-hmm. like use that to start discussions. And then her and I've talked more about it. And she has a box of like a bunch of stuff from when I was a baby and a lot of it's like adoption stuff like she made a scrapbook and she kept a lot of all the papers that she needed for the whole process um she like has my clothes from when I was adopted 
and she has like a little toy that the orphanage gave me and all these things she even like got a book like from china and it's about my city of where i'm adopted from so she's given that to me um and she also had some books that she was reading before she adopted me to kind of like learn about adoption so she's passed some of those on That's so to neat me, and i've read one of them over quarantine um so yeah i think like i've been more interested in it and then you know as i talk about it with her she's definitely supportive in saying like i mean this is what i have this is what i've kept from and this is what I know, which sometimes is like, it's not that much, but it's good because it's like, it's a, as opposed to her not supporting me, it'd be, I think, harder to like think about that and try to do all that by myself. Yeah, yeah. It's honestly super refreshing to hear how supportive that your mom is in this process and how open she has been about just the, the things that she's kept and the process that she went to adopt you. And coming from a household that was completely opposite and <laughs> very close off. Um, mm-hmm. It's just good to hear that other adoptive parents are being so intentional and open to just discussions, like with you said, with the, like, the questions in, uh, in the groups. Because I think that's an important thing for adoptive parents to, to do, is to be open and to just listen and learn and just be willing to, to take an extra step and delve into these difficult discussions that can be awkward, but in the end, I feel like they're so beneficial mm-hmm. for us as adoptees to have with our parents. Yeah. What has been the most beneficial thing that your mom has kind of done as an adoptive parent, do you think? Um, yeah, like I said, she has tried her best to kind of in- immerse me in the culture and just being like supportive as a parent in general. So that's been great. And I think just, like before I was like really into the adoption stuff she used to be like a social worker and so she was very much like growing up trying to like instill in me like you have to have your own voice like you have to kind of know yourself very well and Mm -hmm. try not to let other people sway you or influence you in ways that you have to kind of find what it is inside of you and like follow that like listen to your heart listen to your gut and like you know sometimes I still struggle with that even just like separate from adoption issues um but you know so that's something that she's tried to like teach me growing up so I think that was kind of like a seed that like you know was planted in me even before I became interested in all the adoption stuff and then when I became interested I realized okay that's part of like having my voice and that's part of my story and that's part of you know my identity that I didn't necessarily realize before Um, but it definitely made me feel more like oh this is something that is kind of represents who I am and so I'm going to like take this and learn more about it so I think her telling me those kinds of messages growing up um, trying to like you know make sure that I am following myself and learning like about what I want to do in the world and you know how I want to kind of be and interact with other people Uh, so that I think was really important I think that's great did you find that having an adopted sister from China because you were adopted there as well was beneficial to you growing up versus um I don't know other adoptees that you may have known without siblings Mm -hmm. um I think so, because, I mean, my sister and I don't talk about adoption too much. Again, like, a little bit more so now if I, like, specifically bring up the topic. But I think, like, I never viewed her as, oh, she's my, like, adoptive uh, sister. I just viewed her as my sister. Um, So I feel like a lot of the experiences that we've shared together are just very Mm -hmm. normal, typical, like, sibling relationship stuff. Um, I've heard of other adoptees who maybe, if they were the only one adopted, like, if they had maybe a sibling um, that was biological to their parents... Um, that, that maybe they felt more out of place in the family. So maybe, I, I don't think I've ever felt out of place in my family, especially because my sister and I, um, you know, we're both 
like from China. And so like, if anything, it's the three of us. So my mom's like the odd one out. <laughs> um, so I think maybe it's better that I did have, you know, a younger sister who's adopted because um, I always felt like I belonged in my family. Um, so I appreciate that because I didn't think that that was something I could ever not feel. But in, then hearing yeah. other adoptees' experiences, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I haven't had um, that feeling of, oh, like I'm, I don't look like you, so I don't fit in or things like that. And so maybe without realizing it, like, you know, having an adoptive sisters from China, um, where we both, you know, look the same because we're like mm-hmm. the same race. Yeah. So maybe that gave me some more security in my identity as being like an Asian Chinese um, adopted person. Like going back to how you said that you grew up in a primarily white town. Um, did you ever feel left out because you were a Chinese adoptee? Um, at any point, like going to school or um, just like athletics or stuff like that? Um, I think I did, but then I didn't necessarily like think, oh, it's because I'm one of few, like the few Asians at my school. Like I didn't, like I felt like I've heard other adoptees say this too. I felt very white. Um, or like whitewashed I guess so in my Mm -hmm. head I was like oh like I fit in I'm just like everybody else Um, and so it wasn't like until I got older where I was like oh wait no like I am Asian and then trying to figure out what that means to be Asian in Chinese Um, but when I was younger you know if I didn't feel like I fit in it was never because of how I looked it was always because oh maybe I'm like quieter and shy and that's why I don't fit in or something so I never attributed Mm -hmm. I I think one thing though is like my name like it not me not having an Asian last name that kind of um made me feel like oh I'm different because other people expect my name to be one thing and it's not that um so especially just like you know teachers who would like call your name especially if it's like a substitute so they don't actually know who you are um and then they'd like get to my name and then they'd say sometimes Rottenberg like differently they'd say like yeah (laughs) like correct them and be like no it is like Rottenberg which like I never liked my name growing up because I was like oh it has the word rotten in it and also it's just people like look at me thinking well like I've had like once at uh, some place I worked a co-worker was like Mm -hmm. you don't look like a Rottenberg and then, like, one of my other coworkers, she was like, oh, well, what does a rotten bird look like? She was trying to, like, challenge what he was saying. Um, so I think the name thing, because either people will, like, see me first, and then they'll, like, find out my name. Or if they see my name first, and then they see me, and it's just, like, this mismatch. And so that kind of, I guess, made me feel out of place sometimes, just because, like, other yeah, people yeah. honestly don't have to deal, deal with that. Um, yeah, yeah. My my last name is well. Now that I'm married, it's Guido Richards, but I kept my my adoptive parents' first name. Um, but people would never pronounce it right either. Um, but like you said, like with the identifying more as white, um, I was raised basically white my entire life um, with my parents. So that's where I kind of fit in, like with everybody. Mm-hmm. And so growing up. Uh, when I would meet other Latinos, I would kind of get a little bit judged by, by mm. them because, like, I didn't speak Spanish and, like, I didn't really know much about the culture and they just expected certain things that I wasn't able to give. And then, then they, they'd have all these questions like, well, why don't you know Spanish? Why don't you do this? I'm just like, well, I was adopted. I don't know what to tell you. Mm. And so, like, I got, I don't know, it, it kind of messed with my uh, identity a bit because I was just like well I know Italian culture mm. that's that's all I've known growing up and this is my family this, these are people I love but by not knowing more about Colombian culture not fitting in with mm. these people now 
what did that mean? Because they were my, you know, they're my family. They're my roots. I should know that. Uh, it was just like, like you mentioned before, like trying to teeter back and forth about where to fit in. It, it can be like a difficult yeah. and thing. I, I was going to say, like you said, you almost, you don't realize that you're different until other people point it out to you. And then that's when you become mm-hmm. like insecure. So like growing up because like, oh, I felt white and I felt like I fit in with my family and I fit in with my friends and all that. And then once you like, you know, like you said, um, for me, like once you try to interact with maybe like other Asians and you're like, oh, I realize I don't fit in because you'll hear, hear either them like feeling like they belong because they have all these shared interests or common like, you know, how they were raised. Um, and then even just like people saying things. So it's kind of like, oh, well, like I was fine before. And now because you said this and pointed it out, now it's like, oh, wait, now I'm aware <laughs> or hyper aware. Of yeah. It. And then it's kind of like trying to decide how much you want to try to fit into that where, you know, it's not something that you're familiar with. I and mean, I think it's totally fine to want to like explore and connect with your culture and your roots mm-hmm. and like some of those things that you missed out on. But then sometimes it's like, am I doing it for the right reasons? Am I doing it for myself? Or am I doing it to to please others and so I just like fit in with everyone else um so it's kind of confusing because it's like well some of it's for me but then sometimes it is for other people and so trying to find the balance and making sure I'm doing it for me yeah yeah I I totally get that it's just like am I not trying to learn more about my roots because I'm comfortable and it's mm. what I'm used to. And because, you know, like growing up every day with your parent and your family, you just see these same faces, the same routines, and it just becomes the norm. And then when you actually grow up, go to college, and then start living your own life, you start to see how other families act, how do other uh, people from our race and ethnicities um, act. And it's just like, well, have I been sheltered? should I explore more? <laughs> it, it, it just opens these can of worms growing up, you know? Um, it's just being an adult and I guess part of growing up and then the added layer of being an adoptee is trying to find where we fit and how to fit in where in a way that makes us exactly yeah comfortable. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing a lot of thinking about this subject. <laughs> And it's just like so nice to talk to other adoptees and just seeing other experiences. Like, um, like I, I love hearing about how interactive your mom was and just because for me, that's like the polar opposite of what uh, my my uh, life was. Um, and I just I don't know. <laughs> Being adopted is complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that's definitely the right word. Complicated. I all- <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I also feel like it offers us such a unique worldview, mm-hmm. too, because, like, we get to to grow up in a way that other people who are from our race and ethnicity, to they don't ever get to experience that. And then um, it's kind of just seeing different things and um, how other cultures are raised and just, like, it can be a difficult thing and it can have its issues but there are also some mm-hmm, some sure. amazing positives about it too and um my my father is like a diehard italian and he came from italy and uh just having like he he was a chef growing up so i got to experience all that traditional italian oh, food nice. like that was just 
phenomenal. And then, so like, that's where I'm trying to integrate more my birth culture because food was such an important part of my life growing up. So now I'm just like, okay, I have this connection with my adoptive family. Let me see how I can integrate that more. And it's been easier using food as kind of a, mm. a bridge to my birth culture yeah. versus the language. So like, do you find... Have you found that there's easier ways for you to integrate more things from your birth culture than others? Yeah, I think, yeah, definitely language is the harder one. Um, food, I'm kind of getting involved with. I don't cook too much myself. My sister actually likes to cook more. Um, but yeah, one of my friends, it was the, it was some festival that passed. It was like, I think the Dragon Boat Festival. Um, and then she was saying there's these special types of food that you can like make for that. So then she, her family made some and then she brought some to give to me and my sister and we really liked them. So now it's something I want to try to make from scratch here. Um, and she, for the, mm-hmm. it was the autumn moon festival. It was in the fall. Um, she had come over to my house and she brought ingredients so that we can make dumplings. And so that was cool. Cause then she showed us how to do that. And that was like the first time I've ever made them. And then since then I've made them once again with my sister. And the first time I made them, it was like, okay. Cause like one of them like yeah. unraveled, like I didn't like stick it together. But then when I made it with my sister, the two of us like figured it out and it, it was like worked better. Um, so that feels cool to be able to yeah make food that's the because before I think I liked Chinese food growing up but mm-hmm. it was like oh you like you know take out Chinese food from like the Mandarin restaurant or just something that's like a it's kind of more westernized so I don't know if it's like completely authentic um, but it's cool to learn like the names of the dishes yeah. like, in Chinese as opposed to like what they're called in English um, and then yeah being able to make them because I'm like oh wow this is this is cool yeah it's definitely different like um, yeah. my my sister-in-law, she makes like the best empanadas and she kind of taught me how to make them. And like the first time I did it at home by myself, I was just like, what, what is this mess? It's not even sticking <laughs> together. The dough's not working. It was awful. My kitchen was a disaster. Oh, no. <laughs> and so like, I don't know, it can be embarrassing at first, like trying, like you said, with like, it doesn't work, but um, um, like in one of the, the transracial groups, someone just asked like, how do we integrate integrate our culture as transracial adoptees with Mm. our kids growing up and so like that has just been like an added reason why I'm trying I think so hard because it's not just me anymore it's just like I have two sons that are also Colombian and so I feel like I have to figure it out now more because I don't want them struggling with Mm. their identities growing up and and it goes back to like finding birth family and just like that connection is just like the whole circle here just trying to to find out who we are I feel is this lifelong journey that just never in a way that's kind of scary because it's like (laughs) oh there's just so much to learn but then it's also nice because like well I have the rest of my life to keep on learning it's not like there's an end time you know it's just like even when I have kids and Mm -hmm. even when I get older like there's never an opportunity where I I have to stop I could it's the door's always open and whether I'm ready to learn more or less but it's like always there um so that's it's kind of nice to know that because you're like oh well if I don't like learn Mandarin right now it's something I could pick up maybe in the future if I had more time or become more interested in it later or like yeah learning different foods and kind of researching the recipes and all of that is just like it's, it's available when I want to if I ever want to delve into it yeah exactly and especially with like technology and all this stuff like YouTube is a big help like, yeah. <laughs> like how-to videos on YouTube and then you have like apps like Duolingo it makes it so much more accessible than when we were younger and mm. I feel like as adults we have such 
more of an appreciation for things like culture and traditions mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So um, being able to explore with a community like mm-hmm. like the adoptee community is refreshing because if we have questions, we can just go on, pop on Facebook or Instagram, you know, and message the group. And then we're all like pretty much like very welcoming, I feel. Yeah, yeah, I found that too. It's so nice because everyone's just like, oh, we know what we're going through, like, welcome, like, we're a community, you belong here. And it's just like, oh, wow, so much like, <laughs> positive vibes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's been like the best part for me. It's just like, if I have a question, like, it's someplace where I can finally feel like comfortable and like it's a mostly judgment-free zone. And it's also interesting to me to see like adoptive parents trying to learn more to to get prepared and to to help with their children and raising them in a more uh collaborative way with um, their birth culture and stuff and because i know like a lot of parents back when around like when we were adopted i know in america is more prominent they they had the mentality where uh once the child is in your family their culture Mm. really didn't matter as much like you're the parent that's what you should integrate them and it's just yeah i I don't know problematic i think but it's it's refreshing to see that um adoptive parents now are kind of uh learning from the mistakes of the the past and and just making wiser decisions and actually using forums like Facebook to to get one on one interactions yeah. with fellow I guess, adop- like, uh, with adoptees I to learn countries, more. Um, obviously, had different times when they were like adopting, but I mean, for China, like it mostly started because like our international adoption because of the one child policy. So, I mean, a lot of the babies that were um, being adopted from that, there was no, like, older adoptees to look mm-hmm. up to because they were, like, the first ones. Um, so, it is nice to have a community where there's some older adoptees and some younger adoptees, and you can get, like, advice, you know, like, parents, adoptees who are now parents. And then, you know, if I one day have kids and it's kind of like, well, how do you navigate that? There's other people who have gone through those life stages and can kind of give advice to the younger people or like myself giving advice to someone who's maybe still in high school or still, you know, dealing with things that I dealt with, but I've kind of like slowly moved through it. Um, So it's really nice. And like you said, the parents are also wanting to adoptive parents are wanting to listen to adult adoptees experiences. Cause I think like we're the experts of our own um, lives and you know, how we experience adoption and live it every single day. So it's really important that adoptive parents are open to hearing, you know, like you said, the good and the bad, everything in between, just because you don't know how your child uh, will feel. You don't know if they're going to be the ones that maybe hold resentment or are angry, or if they're going to be the ones that, you know, are very positive and yes. are very happy. And I mean, hopefully it's um, that, that, that they're happy because uh, you want your child to be happy, like regardless if they're your adopted child or not kind of thing. Um, but just, I guess if they have more resources and knowledge, then they can support their child in case like issues pop up and then kind of work through that together. So definitely, definitely. And I totally 100% agree with what you said. It's just like adoptees are the experts in our field. And I feel like more of the adoption community should to listen to us and validate and raise our voices a lot more. And we see it, it's getting better, but there are things like, um, I don't know if you've heard, there's there's a book called The Unadoptables. And oh. yeah, yeah. And 
a non-adoptee wrote it and it's just very problematic. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just mm. like things like that where you have the media and literature just picking up the voices of non-adoptees and um mm. and it can be very problematic when we're trying to grow as a community and learn uh from the past and just do better. And I feel like if the media and just platforms just take more notice of adoptee voices and conversations like this, um, there there would be a lot less issues. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I noticed that too with like research, like academic research. When I was doing my thesis, I was trying to look at scholarly articles and, you know, papers and journals to try to see, okay, what's already been done out there so that I can build upon that. And specifically, if I was looking at Chinese adoptees who live in Canada, that there was like very little on, especially in Canada, I find there's a lot of stuff maybe in the States or, and, but not specific necessarily to Chinese adoption. And a lot of it was on children and families and child development and how they're adjusting. But there was not a lot on like when they grow up because it's still, there's still yeah. issues maybe that might you know, stick with you when you're older um, and new things that you're navigating that has to do with like different life stages. And so there wasn't a lot on people that were like, well, my I was like, like early 20s. So there's not a lot on older adoptees. Or like you said, it's by people who are non adopted. So that or sometimes a lot of it's too by like adoptive parents where they'll write about their kids experiences. But yeah. it, it's their kids experiences and not theirs. And so it's through a completely different lens if it was through their child's um, like their voice. Exactly, exactly. And it's so problematic how often adoptive parents write about adoption without consulting adult adoptees, because I don't know, I feel like a lot of adoptive parents with blogs and Instagrams and whatever, they're like, well, I we're an adoptive family, I'm the parent, I'm, I should be able to write anything. And it I feel like adoptive parents need to to realize how much power they hold in our dynamic mm-hmm. here and how many um, adoptive parents are already so vocal and out there. Do we really need more <laughs> adoptive parents speaking about yeah. that? And that's a great because your podcast and, you know, all of us are growing up and a lot of us want to tell our own stories and do that through, you know, various means. And so it's so cool because now we're the ones who have the control back and we're able to tell like our own narrative and talk about our experiences and it's coming from us this time. And so that's really cool because then hopefully other maybe adoptees, exactly. even like, I mean, I'm older now and I'm just like learning about all this stuff. And, but it's, it would be nice, you know, if the younger adoptees who are still kids or like teenagers, they discover all these resources and have it, you know, so that it's there as they're going through things as opposed to yes. kind of after the fact. <laughs> yeah. 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 Totally. One of the reasons why I, I made this, and I really hope it does have a, an impact on the future generations and even just the current one. And it's been a pleasure having you on and talking with you. And I hope you enjoyed it as yeah, well. Yeah, it's been great. I've loved learning about your experiences and just talking about it. And it's very easy to talk to you. I'm so glad that you joined me today. And if you would like to hear more from Adoptee Thoughts, make sure to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. And if you'd like to learn more about me, you can check out my website, adopteethoughts.com. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.